Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 216. I'm really excited about today's guest. Because today we have in the house Tracy Halverson of FastSpot. Hello. Also want to introduce my co-host, Jonathan Denwood. Oh, well, hi there, folks. Bill, we're going to jump right into it. And I want to, uh, you know, uh, start by saying, like, P- Tracy, people who are not familiar with you, people who are not familiar with FastSpot, uh, give us an elevator pitch of, of who you guys are and, and what you do. Okay, so our elevator pitch, um, let's figure we're on a little bit of a longer elevator because I'm not really good at the, at the sixth floor elevator. Uh, we are an interactive agency um, focusing a, a lot of our work over the years on working with higher eds, cultural institutions, nonprofits, associations. That's uh, expanded over the years uh, more recently to include lots of different interesting clients that I, we can talk about. But... We started the company in 2001, and we've always really been a company and an agency that's focused on that combination of creativity and uh, great technical execution, because ultimately, we're creating something that not only do other people have to use, but other people have to power. So we're creating something that is a tool, it's, a, it's, it's an experience, um, it's it's integral to people's businesses, so it's very, very important. It's complicated. And, you know, because we're involved from the beginning of projects, strategy, research, all the way through to CMS implementation and beyond, uh, we form really deep, lasting relationships with our clients. And um, that's been, I think, probably, you know, one of the reasons for our success over the years. No, awesome. It sounds uh, definitely like you guys have it figured out. Um, but you know, it, and those are some things I re- definitely want to touch on for sure. Uh, but first, before we get into to those details, let's let's hear the origin story of Fastspot. How did you come to start an agency? How did you first uh, get into the world of of web development? So um, my background is I'm an art school person. Um, I went to art school. I, I've always been a painter and was really in love with with art. And so I went to college in 89 to pursue a degree in fine art. Um, Hadn't really been exposed to computers or much technology in my education experience, um, but was like super geek on the side. You know, my favorite movie was War Games. I, you know, I think my, my, if I could have like learned to be a hacker, that would have been like a dream job. But I wasn't, you know, I certainly just didn't have the access or or the necessary skills to pursue that fantasy. But anyway, I just really was fascinated by technology and also how technology and creativity were merging. So when I got out of uh, undergrad and was living as a, uh, literally as a starving artist, I, um, one of the first things I saved up money and, and bought was a computer. Because I was, I was just really interested in how that could actually help me as a, as a fine artist um, market and reach people by being able to, to show my work um, online. 
And from there, I went on to graduate school, which brought me to Baltimore and brought me to Maryland Institute College of Art, which was a fantastic experience because I could do whatever I wanted in grad school. It was a very open-ended program. So I started taking classes um, to learn more skills in, uh, in things like Photoshop or After Effects or, you know, started learning Flash um, back when it was like, you know, Future Splash or something. And um, literally, you know, it was just a really good field to get into. I, I really enjoyed the work so I could work part time and then keep my painting studio. And this is around 98, 99. So all these companies are, are popping up and offering all sorts of, of great opportunities. And so I started working in those agencies and, and finding there's tons of other creative people that didn't think very differently from a painter or a fine artist at all. Um, from the graphic designers to the programmers to the user experience people. What I did find that was lacking was, was a really healthy company to work in. So I worked for a lot of very unhealthy companies. A couple good ones mixed in there, but certainly the, the most I learned was from the last company that I worked for, which was just very toxic, unhealthy, ran poorly. And, you know, being, a, being someone who understands how important your environment is to your creative process coming out of art school and working in studios, it just struck me that if you want to do great work in this industry, you need a great environment, which means you need great leadership, great team, great clients, great motivation, um, you know, great feedback and great learning opportunities. And so that really kind of is, is why we started the company um, because we just thought, I want to do great work and I need to do that in a great environment. And that just started to then uh, expand to include employees and to include an office and then more employees and more structure. And that's really kind of how it went. No, definitely. You wanted to be the agency that you saw lacking uh, in the world. Yeah. And the agency, you know, the agency that I would want to work for. So, you know, yeah, like, there's a pool table and a bar, but also people are going home at six o'clock. They're not working till two in the morning. People have, people get some say over the, 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 you know, their deadlines and the work that we're doing, the clients that we're working with. And, you know, good people matters more than being a good person matters a lot here. And it matters a lot for our clients to be good people. So, you know, we've defined core values and we really like revolve the company around those things. And it can sound really it can sound really cheesy until you until you realize how important it is. And I was totally, a, I did not believe in any of this crap for a long time. And then one day I woke up and I thought, oh my God, it, we actually really need these things. Um, otherwise, we're, we're just kind of like bullshitting ourselves. And so if we're going to be a company that's, that's full of good people, we want people to adhere to that, we need to define it. And we need to, we need to um, walk the talk, basically. What you just said is really fascinating, and, and I want to focus on that for just like uh, one additional minute. But um, when you say, you know, culture is important and, and you know, was there a turning point uh, like in uh, an event or just maybe just a general vibe that was going on? And what made you, you know, uh, put more effort into culture? And what have, you know, how have you seen your agency transform in the time since then? Um, I mean, I think there's probably always little inflection points that, that impact culture along the way. And we've, we've had a long road. So I, I would just say that the most recent thing, 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 
14, 15 people to, um, to 25 pretty quickly. And when you have that, you know, that size change, you, you really have to look at um, culture. You can't really enforce it, but you can make sure that you at least set it up as this is what we're looking to pay attention to and then give people, I think, the autonomy to support that culture themselves. Um, so and a really great example is we use Slack to communicate. We have a few remote people. And we used to have a, we have a, a, a room called the 404, and it used to be where everyone would go, and it's just internal facing, and everyone would just kind of complain, like, oh, did you see the feedback from the client? It was like 10 pages long, or, oh, my God, don't bother me today. I'm slogging through this. And it was just kind of a – it was everyone commiserating, which was great, but they were all commiserating around problems and negatives. And um, our director of ops, uh, Stacey Laham, uh, I heard about Hey Taco, and I was like, what is Hey Taco? And it was a way that people could give each other tacos as sort of like, you know, hey, thanks for getting me lunch today. Here's a taco. And she was um, excited about it. And, you know, to be honest, again, I, I thought it sounded really stupid, um, being totally honest. And one of the things I've learned is like, I need to shut up and let other people do things they're excited about because I don't know what's best necessarily. Um, so I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. Tacos go for it. Well, what it, now that now that we're, you know, six months, a year later, um, that channel now is completely transformed to people thanking each other and recognizing each other specifically for core values um, through a hashtag that they've implemented and, it's amazing to see people now they're not bitching about the client feedback. They're thanking someone for helping them see like the way to turn that client feedback into a really great transition for the, 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 the design or for someone helping them solve a problem. Um, it's a little shift, but it's, it's monumental to the way things feel in the office. And, you know, people spend more time with their colleagues at work than they do with their family you know, their free time, their hobbies, their passions. And so you, you don't want it to just be like negative if you can find, you know, it's work. I mean, it's not, it's not called vacation. It's called work and it's hard and it's frustrating sometimes, but it's great to see everyone um, support each other. And that's a real culture shift for us. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. That's definitely some, definitely uh, some uh, great lessons great here. Lessons there. Um, um, so I wanted to ask so you, to ask you, how do you, how do you, how do you, measure, how do you measure success on projects? Success on projects? Um, that's a good question. It's funny when we, um, when we sit down with clients, we actually, we write success metrics into our creative brief. So we talk with the client about what success looks like to, for them. Because, you know, we're, we're a service industry. So as much as, like, we might love something, if it doesn't work well for the client, it's not successful. Um, now, we need to deliver that successful solution within certain parameters. So that the company, you know, the company needs to be profitable to run well. So we've got, um, you know, success metrics for ourselves around uh, meeting our scope deadlines, meeting our time deadlines, our deadlines for uh, delivery, um, but also, you know, does this project move, does, does this set 
anything new or innovative out into the world, if it was an appropriate project to be focusing on that. Have we tried something new in mobile that's going to make a more um, useful experience for the user? Have we tried something on desktop that is going to create a better connection for this this user and the audience, you know, and the, the organization that's trying to talk to them? So I think that sometimes awards are a great way to, to gauge that. Um, press, people just talking about the work, noticing it. Um, you know, we see a million things every day. If I know that somebody stopped and took five extra seconds to look at something and then tweet about it, to me that's a major signal of success. Um, but for our clients, it's really usually about moving some significant metrics for them. I think that's I excellent. Think that's excellent. Uh, uh, and like you said, like you said, pushing the boundaries, pushing the boundaries uh, uh, helps your agents, agents, and it helps your clients. Helps your clients. As so one thing I want to ask is, uh, you know, we were talking before the show about growing the agency and how those shifts happen. Like every time that you double uh, in size, or every time you hit a certain level. Um, things start to shift in, in an agency and have you, how have you dealt with, uh, those shifts that happen as you've expanded in size and have you reached out to other agency owners to get input or, you know, are are you part of like an owner's camp or something like that? Yeah, I have to give major shouts out to, uh, to Carl Smith and to, um, to Greg Hoy and Greg Story, who started Bureau of Digital, and Carl's running it now. Um, we got uh, invited to a very early uh, gathering of other agencies to kind of, they were kind of testing the model out. And that has been definitely uh, hugely informative and helpful to us growing in our company. There's nothing better than, you know, sitting around and talking to other people who are dealing with the exact same problems you are. And I remember someone saying a long time ago um, that, you know, employees are not necessarily going to be the people that can help you solve pro- the problems of an owner. And so if, you're, if, you're, if you own the company or you're, a, you're in a major leadership role at the company, you need to talk to other people in the same roles at other companies if at all possible, to find solutions. And, you know, I love the camaraderie that's in our industry. I, I, I can I count a lot of um, people who you could call competitors and they're, they're friends. You know, sure, sometimes we go up against each other, but in, a, in the bigger scheme of things, we're all trying to, to do something great together. Um, so I've learned a ton from going to the owner camps, the owner summits, um, started saying, Sending some of the people who've, who've elevated up into leadership positions here to some of the other ones like digital uh, PM. And, um, and that's connected me with other agencies who are also doing their own things. I mean, I think that, and they're talking about it, like the things that uh, Nancy Lyons is doing out at Clockwork in Minneapolis around culture and around, you know, growing the company are tremendous and they're very open about sharing that stuff and they'll talk about it whenever you want. So I, you know, I think that uh, I'm constantly trying to learn and get better. I'm always trying to be the first one to admit when I don't know. And, you know, I will tell you, I don't know how to run a company. I went to art school. I, I have no background in this. So I try and read as much as I can. I try and um, be, be humble and be fully willing to, to uh, say that is a better way to do something than what I thought. Um, but then at the same time, 
you know, I have built this company up with my partner, Andy Goldberg, and I do have to trust my gut. You know, it's gotten me this far. I don't want to give up too much control. And sometimes you really do need to step in as a leader and say, this might buck the trend of what everyone else is saying, but I really believe we have to go this direction. And those are the hard decisions that you have to make sometimes. Uh, one more question before we hit uh, our midpoint break, and that is uh, when it, I've noticed that you have a lot of clients in the education uh, field, a lot of universities, uh, a lot of these big launches. Uh, they're very, very impressive. Did you set out intentionally uh, to serve universities and colleges, or was that something that just sort of happened? And uh, how has that impacted uh, getting future work from them from similar institutions. Um, well, thank you, and uh, and I would say that um, no, it was not necessarily intentional. But I don't know that anything was intentional at the beginning. So uh, to be fair, I think when you start a company the way we did, um, you're just happy to get work, and you're you know you're just trying to figure it out. What we we had some um, opportunities to work with higher education organizations very, very early, you know, within the first couple months of the company when it was just Amy and I and then, one, you know, one employee. And what I found is that there was a great synergy around the appreciation for the complexity of the problem. Um, the higher eds that we work with, they understand the fact that this needs to be a cultural shift for the organization. Like, we need to have everybody on their side participating and caring and willing to get in and keep this thing alive and, and um, getting better and better as it goes along. So we, we ended up, you know, our, our successes started happening with partnerships where we had these great people who were like, we're ready to, to work on this together. And, you know, a, a college is going to be different than a startup. Um, they don't have it. They're not trying to make their investors happy by launching a product in 60 days. Um, they are committed to a much longer spanning challenge. And so those kinds of timelines are great for creatives too. You know, nobody wants to be um, constantly under the gun when you're trying to, to be creative and be innovative. It, it can become a burnout situation. And so the timelines that we got to work with with higher eds were, were very uh, agreeable to how we wanted our process to go. We wanted to be able to have time to do the right work uh, in the right ways and not cut corners. And also, I would just say that um, it's meaningful work. I mean, I think when you're trying to tell the story of a, a college or a university, it's not about fluff. It's not about marketing BS. I mean, it's about trying to understand what truly does make this place special. And usually that's the people there, you know, and what those, what those people are doing out in the world. So I think that the team here really connects with um, we're trying to help people make a very important decision and those people could go on to have very big impacts in our worlds. So it, it feels good. It feels like a, something worth putting our effort behind. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, I agree with you that, that you know, doing meaningful work uh, makes a big, big difference. We're going to go out of our midpoint break and then when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Tracy Halverson of Fast Spot. See you in a minute. 
Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com just like the podcast we're coming back from a break we're talking more with tracy halverson of fastspot and before the break we were talking a little bit about serving uh colleges and universities uh as a digital agency and one thing i wanted to ask you i think we touched on it a little bit but is what are some unique challenges that universities have as compared to uh, clients in another vertical? Uh, they have a couple of unique problems and challenges and opportunities. Um, they, uh, they usually have a, a fair amount of um, bureaucracy in place that is usually a little bit more democratic than another organization that might just say, we're not going to involve this group no matter how much they complain because the CEO says so. You know, in a university um, setting, there is strong desire for that that community support and engagement. And so we're oftentimes asked to do the unthinkable, which is to have a, let a project be run with lots of different input points and lots of different um, engagement points. And that, that can be a, a big challenge. I think we're actually really, really good at handling that particular challenge. And that's something that we enjoy. We like uh, educating the clients and the community on the client side, but that's a, definitely a challenge. Um, the other challenge that is unique to them, I think, is that they are existing in a very similar playing field that has traditionally not had to be as aggressive around marketing, especially um, digital interactive engagement, as other marketplaces. Um, college was a no-brainer for a long time. People made it work. They got their applications came in. Everything happened kind of in this one world, and it was, it was a very complicated process but it worked. And to see everything have to change over into this digital space, um, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of turning around of um, big ships, you know, that have existed for a long time going one direction. And um, that's hard for a lot of clients to, to do in these big universities. You've got people who, you know, everything was in paper and in print for a very, very long time, having to make that shift over, which means um, systems and and the technical side of things can become a priority. And so then you end up in a situation where um, the, like the IT team is the, are the people who hold all of the strings when it comes to the website, but the website is how you're communicating with the outside world. So there, there's a big disconnect. Um, so that's a challenge that they have faced because of the, I think just the natural clash between what a technology group typically did for a college and university and what a marketing communications group typically did for a university and how those things need to merge and shift now um, with the internet. And I think the last thing is that they are, again, competing in this space where that is getting uh, more competitive. Um, I think, you know, more expensive, more challenging, more pitfalls in it. And they have to uh, let go of some of the 
generic stuff that they've said about themselves that's that's been okay in the print world and by that i mean you know they all say they're global they all say that you know it's about the the teacher experience and they kind of all have these things that they they're used to saying that make them special those things if you translate that into an internet a website it all looks the same they all sound like they're saying the same things so how do we surface what's genuine and authentic about this place and, and what they want to be connecting with their uh, audiences that gets past that, that buzzword kind of mentality. No, that's excellent. Um, and one other thing I wanted to ask before I uh, pass the mic to Jonathan and see if he wants to, to take it, but um, when you, when these universities approach you, you know, what are some problems that, that, when it comes to that, like what causes them to say, we want to invest the money and resources into doing a, a redesign of, of our site. Are some of the things that you touched on or, or what are some of the motivating factors that finally compel them to, to, you know, invest that time and resource? Sure. I mean, it's the things I, I just talked about, but also um, sometimes their websites, it's amazing how quickly it, something that seemed workable can become like horrific. It, it only can take sometimes a few short years. Um, there's the whole, you know, anybody who, who had a site developed before responsive was, was sort of the industry norm is having to revisit things because of the, you know, the horrible mobile and tablet experience that the other users are having. I think there's also been kind of a late to like late to the game recognition that, this is it. This is the first stop. This is the first stop for the world. They're not going likely. They're not seeing anything else, going anywhere else, talking to anyone else. It's the website. It's that important. And I think as you have um, leadership at these universities start to realize that, even if their application numbers are fine or their endowments are fine or their, you know, their, their reputation seems fine, they recognize that it's, it's a little bit of a, a black eye. You know, it's a little bit of a blemish to let this site just linger out there when it's obviously so important. Um, you know, it would be like if, if Yale at their front gates just kind of like crumble and rust and start to fall over because, ah, uh, you know, everyone goes through there, but then they get into the rest of the campus and it's beautiful. So I do think that um, they just realize how important it is and, and how quickly people make them uh, first impressions um, and, and make assumptions about brand and quality and experience within a, the first few moments of, of experiencing a website. So whether you like it or not, um, that's the world we live in. And, and I think to let your website sit out there as an eyesore uh, can be, can do a lot of harm and, and you know, it, it's correctable. No, that's, that's sage uh, insight. Jonathan, uh, do you have anything that you uh, want to ask Tracy? You're on mute. Can't hear you. Sorry, Sorry. I apologize. Um, traditionally, um, based on my experience, a lot of universities look at Drupal or Expression Engine as a platform. Have you had any kind of problems with getting Facebook accepted, especially by university IT departments, as the platform that should be used? Um, it's always a, a very important discussion. 
Um, you know, we work with we work with Drupal, we work with WordPress, and we work with Bigtree, uh, and those are the three we, we you know that we will actually write a proposal for and support the implementation around. Um, those are wildly different content management systems. To say there's anything common about them except that they're open source is uh, is uneducated. Um, Drupal, you know, from, from my experience, I would say if you don't have a really strong in-house team that knows their way around that CMS, do not, uh, or if you're not prepared to ramp up around that CMS, do not think that just because you heard it's a good one, that that's the one you should use. And so a lot of times we try and build in a, a period of, of consultation around a CMS, as long as we know a client's willing to go with one of those options. Um, we'll say, look, you know, the price is going to change depending on what you decide, but let's talk about it. Because there's also, you know, if the IT team um, knows Drupal, but you need the marketing team and the communications team to run the website, you, you don't want to be in the same situation where every request has to pass through IT, who's also dealing with the internal servers and the internal applications and security things that, that are more, you know, probably higher up on their job responsibility list than updating the faculty bio for the university's website. So, you know, we don't want to see those situations happen. Um, usually, I find the best thing is to take the people who will be using the content management system and walk them through three different experiences of creating a page, you know, literally doing something that you will have to do in your day-to-day -day work once this website is live. And just, you know, the great thing about technology, if you look at Apple as an example, the great success of Apple is that they made working on the computer pleasurable. They made work feel creative and, and beautiful and, you know, streamlined. And the CMSs are, are mostly all still failing in that regard. So, you know, we, I'm not going to tell someone oh, well, you're going to hate using this. It's going to frustrate you. It's going to scare you. It's going to break a lot. It's going to give you a lot of headaches. But it's the best solution. You know, I just, I can't tell a client that. So, um, it, you know, they're all different. Uh, but I think that in a lot of cases, we're steering clients towards big tree and WordPress because of the user experience and the, and the ease of use. They don't need to walk through all that complexity of Drupal to do what they need to do. Oh, great answer, Tracy. Um, as the business has grown, have you had to build kind of sales pro, a sales team? Um, have you had to increase your content marketing? Have you had to build up uh, more um, of a position of having a team that has to go out looking for work rather than being passive and work just coming to you? That's a good question. Um, I would say that we have assumed that, yes, we are going to need to get more aggressive about going out and looking for work. But the reality is that doesn't usually generate the same kind of um, growth that, that is from more of our inbound or word of mouth um, growth. So, you know, I've been talking to our, our new business director and our marketing director about this recently, and those are two new positions within the last three years of the company, too. I used to do all of that. 
um, with you know the help of whoever I could grab. But now I think what we're tr what we're trying to do is just make sure that we're sharing our knowledge and our our ideas and our um, approaches to things in as wide a distribution as we can, so that we can get onto people's radars if they're looking for us. So if they're looking here, I want to be found here. If they're looking here, I want to be found here. Um, we're reaching out if we see someone maybe like in our stats that's looking at a lot of different articles. Uh, you know, we might reach out to them and just say like, if you're working on an RFP, if you're thinking about anything that we can talk to you about, feel free to get in touch. But the, you know, I get like 20 of those in my inbox every morning. Um, hey, still haven't heard back. You know, I'm like, you haven't heard back because I don't know who you are. And I'm, you know, I'm not, going to read your spammy email. So there is, uh, in our industry, you know, we're talking about really long engagements with clients where we really have to work closely together. And those things don't often happen through your traditional um, outbound marketing, content marketing kind of approach. Um, it, not in the way that I see value around nurturing our existing relationships, looking to grow um, in different kinds of ways. So, you know, I, I have... A, I've been, we've been very fortunate. Um, we've had a lot of happy clients. And when you have happy clients and you do good work, that can support your business. Your business will continue to, to do well if you're, if you're doing those things and if you're keeping a, you know, a team happy back at home as well. Oh, definitely a totally fantastic answer. Um, but there is a lot of competition in the higher education market, isn't it, from Drupal houses, um, from a lot of experience agencies what you know when you are um bidding what have you got any sense why you achieve um getting the clients you do i mean it's always usually about the people um i mean oftentimes i always ask whether we lose or we win you know why why did we lose or why did we win and um and it's always uh, more interesting, I think, to hear about why we won because you're not always getting the truth when, when you ask why you lost because people want to be nice. Um, I think that uh, clients look for our, for our level of expertise in the field. I mean, it's nice to know you don't have to, to train someone up to understand what the terminologies mean within higher ed. Um, we have an appreciation for the bureaucracy and some of the politics that need to be massaged and, and um uh, catered to throughout the project. Um, but we are also, you know, we're interested in trying to move the needle for folks that we work with. And we're interested in trying to put out amazing work. We're not really interested in trying to churn out work. So even as we've grown, those core philosophies at our agency have not changed. And if a client feels like we're going to be the team to do that, if that's what they're looking to do, then I think it's usually a, a great, it's, you can feel it in the room and, and it's usually a natural um, partnership that moves forward. I think that um, some organizations don't need that level of engagement. Some organizations do just wanna like check the box, new website, new CMS, uh, everything's fine. Let's just make sure there's a video on the homepage and we're happy, you know? I mean, I literally, those clients exist and that's fine. And, you know, we're not really the right firm for that because we want to be engaged and going after something pretty ambitious with our clients. 
And that also means, you know, that, that we're looking, we're going to need to spend the kind of time that's going to, it's going to require a budget. And so there's also, you know, there's, there's instances where we can't do the project for the budget that the client has. And oftentimes um, that's where we have to, you know, actually pass. That's great. Got a final question, John, before we can go on to some bonus content. Yeah. Uh, my final question uh, would be, when it comes to case studies, how important are those in uh, sealing the deal or, or, you know, getting new work? Do people come to your site and specifically read those uh, that are decision makers at major universities? Uh, yes. Critical. I mean, most important, I think, content on the website it should be the case studies, and it's actually something that, that we're trying to improve right now. Um, it's very easy to get to the end of a project, and everybody just wants to, oh, my gosh, it's been a year. It's been a lot of work. Site launch. woohoo! And then we're on to the next thing. And to me, you know, until we know how that site is performing, until we know how, it, how the client is using it, how are we impacting those success metrics, like is – is the, is the race car winning races? You know, like until we know if what we've built is doing well, we don't really have a lot for a case study. We can talk about the challenges. We can talk about, oh, we solved them in these great innovative ways and that's all fun and good. But for me, um, the best case studies are the ones where we can continue to, to work with the client to evaluate how well the, the work is doing. Um, which has so much more to do than like winning awards or getting recognition or, you know, increasing some analytics. Like ultimately it has to impact the business. Um, when we're able to, to obtain that feedback and, and when we're able to know that we truly had those kinds of success metrics with the client, those are the most powerful case studies because they show the transformation that we're trying to achieve with the work that we're doing. Um, and those are the case studies and those are the projects that we then constantly hear about um, when people call us, you know, they say, we love the work you did, you know, on Bucknell or, you know, for um, Hamilton or for Amherst. And, you know, we want to, uh, and we love what we saw, what we read about it. And we, we loved, you know, seeing how that all trans transformed and transpired and, and all that. Um, that that's gold for us. I mean, if we don't have those kinds of projects, we don't, we don't get calls. Excellent. So uh, we're going to wrap up the regular part of the podcast. Hopefully Tracy will stick around for, uh, you know, five to 10 more minutes. We'll get a little bonus content for the YouTube channel. But uh, Tracy, how do people get a hold of you online? Where do they find you? And anything you want to promote? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, I, they can find me at uh, Tracy Halverson on Twitter. And that's, um, you can spell it a bunch of different ways, but I'll tell you to spell it T-R-A-C-E-Y-H-A-L-V-O-R-S-E-N. Um, you can also, you can find me, um, you can find me through, the, through our website, fastspot.com. I'm, I'm in the bios section, culture, and happy to, to receive emails or um, reach outs on Twitter anytime. And the one thing I would promote is, you know, just continuing to have open dialogue around agencies. I think it's great when we can get together. We're stronger together than we are apart. Um, and also a shout out to uh, Big Tree CMS, which is, you know, it's a fantastic open source CMS. We developed it many, many years ago, released it open source. So we still have a lot of invested in it in terms of 
you know, blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, we believe that it's a really fantastic open source option for people. Excellent. Uh, Jonathan, how do we get a hold of you? Oh, it's really simple, folks. You can get me on Twitter at Jonathan Denwood. You can email me at WPTonic. That's Jonathan at WP-tonic.com. Or you can leave a remark on Facebook. Um, they're the, probably the best ways to get a hold of me, John. Cool. And and before I let people know how to get a hold of me, I just want to say, uh, Tracy, I've been a longtime follower of yours on Twitter, a uh, longtime fan of FastSpot. And, you know, I, this has been such a great interview, and I'm thankful that you came on. And uh, I know that our viewers and our listeners on the podcast are going to get a ton of value from it. Um, so thank you so much. And uh, yeah. definitely. For people, thank for, you, John. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, anyone who wants to get a hold of me, you can find me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com. You can follow me on Twitter, lockdown underscore. Uh, and so I want to say for the WP Tonic Posse in effect, peace out and get your dose. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.